excited to be here with you guys. Uh, I'm going to have to pray for myself because my words aren't like working well today. Like my mouth and my brain are not in tune. So I'm going to ask the spirit to kind of take control right now because I'm not going to be able to preach because I just can't get things like to hear it in. I don't know if you guys ever feel like you have those days. So, but in my weakness, Christ's grace is made perfect. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. Father God, a moment that seems like any other. Father, God, a moment which we might just let us pass us by if we don't stop and reflect. This moment, Lord, is the sweetest moment that we've ever experienced because it's the moment that we're in. Father, God, so often we let the best moment of our life pass us by because we don't stop and sit in the moment. Father, God, as we've had to worship you today, we've gotten the privilege of worshiping you today. Father God, as we've gotten the privilege to pray with you today. Father God, as some of us have already gotten the privilege to be challenged today. Father God, I pray that we would soak this moment in. This moment of transformation. This moment of your presence. This moment of the Spirit. This moment that your life could change forever by the power of your grace and your mercy and Jesus' death on the cross. Father God, in this moment, I'm weak. You're strong. Father God, in my weakness, your grace is made perfect. Father God, in my insufficiency, you are made sufficient. So, Father God, as I pray right now for your presence upon me and upon this place, Father, Father God, I pray for anointing. I pray that I would pour myself out like an alcohol offering upon the fire, being totally consumed by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father God, I pray that I would hold nothing in, but I would proclaim your word and your gospel in such a way that it changes lives because it's the first point that they've heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Father God, for each person in this room right now, I pray for open hearts. Father, I pray that they would release the stress, the worry, the brokenness. And I pray that they would receive your completeness. That they would let you deconstruct them so you can construct something beautiful, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been walking through this journey of scripture and we've made it really far all the way to Genesis chapter 15. Praise God, right? So we've made it all the way to Genesis chapter 15. I wasn't bold enough to say at one point we're going to go through the Bible in one year. It's not going to happen. Because we're already pretty far in, and I'm only through 15 chapters, and we're only going to get 15 and 16 today. But I don't know about you guys, but this has been an amazing journey for me to explore Scripture in context. The word context is so important when it comes to Scripture because that means that we're hearing the full story of the story of Christ. So often we can pull certain verses to make us feel good. So often we can pull certain verses to fit our agenda. But when we go through Scripture in this order with every part of the story, what we see is we see the full perfection of Christ. We see that it's not about what we want, but it's about what He wants. We get encouragement. Sometimes we get reproof. Sometimes we get an opportunity to humble ourselves before the Father. Sometimes we get an opportunity for the Lord to change us a little bit. Like Danielle was saying, discipleship is so great. And she's like, Sarah's not easy on me. That's a, that sounds like a double negative, right? Like or oxymoron. So discipleship is great. She's not easy on me. Because the greatness is contained in the fact that we aren't easy on each other. 
Danielle is talking about her friends, and she has great friends. I've met some of her friends. They're great people, right? But see, a great friendship cannot be all the time. You're doing a great job even when you're killing yourself. A great friendship has to be filled with, how do you test that by the Lord? A great friendship has to be filled with the hard conversations. If you're going down a bad path, and I think the Lord wants to bring you to a new path, right? Hard conversations and discipleship. It's a beautiful thing when we get to experience that. See, it's, it's funny, and we talk about discipleship so much, and you guys are like, Ricky's really in love with discipleship. Yes. You want to know why? Because that's the one thing that Jesus tells us to do. Yes. <laughs> Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the most important part, teaching them to obey the commands I've taught you. And then you get the promise, and then I'll be with you to the end of the age. Amen. Just going doesn't create disciples. Mm -hmm. Just planting a seed does not create disciples, and that's hard for some people to hear. Because we usually say, well, I planted a seed. I did a good enough job. But what about the water? We trust the Lord to water. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes we say we planted a seed and we take the easy way out. Of, okay, I'll not, and you work with that person. You see them every day. Well, I planted a seed. Okay, good job. Now, how are you going to water? You're going to see them tomorrow. There's some opportunities where you never see a person again and you plant a seed. But there's so many opportunities where we have people in our lives every single day we don't know the Lord and we don't take the opportunity to water that seed. At the beginning of the year, we begin to pray for two people. My prayer is that you're praying for those two people and that you're sharing the gospel with those two people. That you're sitting down with them intentionally having conversations. I want to challenge you guys to continue to do that. And as we work our way up to Easter, okay, y'all, Easter's going to be amazing this year. Not because we're a perfect church. Not because we're going to do the biggest show in Spartanburg. But it's because we didn't get to have Easter to the fullness last year. Now, that doesn't discredit the cross. It's just we did not get to come together in a powerful way last year of worship. Last year we Zoomed Easter, which was great. It was what we had. But this year there's that bent up worship. There's that opportunity to celebrate the cross like we only get to a few times a year. But my prayer is that on this Easter it would create a ripple effect. As we get to worship the cross on this powerful set-apart day. Because that's what it is. Easter is a set-apart day. I pray that the Lord will invoke inside of each of us a desire for worship. A desire to share the cross. A desire to see Christ glorified. And so those two people that you've been working with and praying with, I pray that you invite them to this Easter service. Where God will work in them, where God will change them, and where God will accept them. Because that's the hardest thing in the world, right? Feeling acceptance. How often do you not feel accepted? Probably every time you walk in work. Some of you in your marriage, every time you walk home, you don't feel accepted. Some of you in your dating relationships, some of you with your friends, some of you with your parents, you just don't feel accepted. You have all this heaviness, all this worry upon you. But God... But God accepts you for exactly who you are. In the fullness, in the imperfection, in the messiness, and in the good. How good is our God? Right? How good is God? Right? How good is God that he accepts us? We're going to be in Genesis chapter 15. Okay, we're going to start. We'll start at the beginning. We'll read all the way through. How does that sound? It says, after the, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. Oh, that's powerful right there. I am your shield, your very great 
reward. Is God your reward today? Like in this moment right now, is God your reward? But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. How, do, how much like us does Abram sound? God shows up to us. I am your reward, your shield. But God, I don't have any children. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who in your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky. Count the stars. That's a challenge. Count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abram did not do anything except for believe the Lord. How powerful is that right now? He just believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. To give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know what I will gain possession of when I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The, then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not of their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation. They will serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I will give the land. From the Wadi of Egypt to the great river to the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kesanites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Tezerites, the Raphites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jerusites, and the Jezebites. Y'all can do that? Can you recite all those words right now? Right? <laughs> Some of you are like, what's he talking about? Let me see you do it. I practice. See, God makes this promise with Abram right here. What we see in all the scriptures, we see these promises that God is reassuring Abram. God is reassuring him. God had brought him out of the land. Abram had faith to leave the land he had always known. The land his family was from, he left and followed God. Now, we heard last week Abram got in a little trouble. Told Egypt that his wife was actually his sister. And that led into this whole debacle, as we see last week. And then we see Abram go and save Lot and fight a war with his family against the king. And then reject the offerings of the king because the Lord had told him to wait and not let anybody make him rich except for God. And now we come to this point. 
Abram's a ripe old age, and so is Sarif, his wife. And the one thing that they've never had is a kid, a child. And it's funny because God changes his name in a little bit, which is going to be father of many, which is a beautiful thing. But they don't have a kid. So when God says, I am your shield, I am your reward, Abram has a question. I don't have a child. See, and some of you are like, Abram, why are you questioning God right there? It's okay to question God like that. God does not say to Abram, condemnation upon your house, right? God gently answers him. See, so often we have this misinterpretation of God that he wants to harm us or forsake us. But the Bible literally says the opposite. <laughs> he does not want to harm us or forsake us. So when Abram has this question, God gracefully answers him and tells him, I'm going to provide for you a child. And you're not even going to be able to count them. There's going to be so many. They're going to turn into generations as numerous as the stars. And later we'll see as numerous as the specks of sand. And then God says, go get these animals. And Abram cuts them in half. Some of you are like, what's up with that? That's a little weird. And then he separates them to make like a walking path. What's that about? So it's really weird. But actually in the time of Abram, this was a pretty common thing. It was actually making a promise with somebody. And so you would walk through, and then they would walk through, and that would signify the deal or the covenant that you've made with them. You're like, man, I'm glad we can just shake hands these days. <laughs> right? But think about how easy of a way out that is. Because then you're like, I just shook their hand. I don't really care that much. Right? In this scenario, in this covenant, in this promise, you're giving something up. You're taking these from your flock. And saying, I want to make a commitment to you. And how serious it is, is we're going to do it in lifeblood. The blood of life is what we're going to sign this in. You've heard blood brothers and they like crick their finger and they push it. Don't do that, first of all, because it's gross. But secondly, that's an easy way out. Think about this. You're taking something from your flock and you're cutting it in half. And you're saying, in this blood, we're making a covenant, a deal, a promise. And here's what's even cooler. Is after this happens... Abram falls in. It says a deep darkness comes over him. Because even when you got a promise from God, even when God's giving you something great, even when God's going to do something great in your life, sometimes there's going to be a darkness that falls over you. And the darkness usually falls over you when God's just showed up to you in the biggest way. Because Satan never stops. He wants to get you and he wants to pull you back. Because he knows when God starts to work, he needs to stop the work in you. Because God's not going to stop his work, so he throws you off so that he can take care of the easy way out. Amen. In that sleep, he sees this pot. Fire, the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit of God showing up in this beautiful way. And then the pot goes through. I just told you to make a promise they both had to go through. Just the pot went through. Just God went through. Why would just God go through? Because <laughs> everything that God does is not dependent on what we can do. Everything that God does is completely and solely dependent upon Him. God says, you sit down, I got this. It doesn't matter what you can do for me because it means nothing, but I'm going to show you what I can do for you, and none of this is upon you, it's all upon me. 
Because I'm the master and the orchestrator of the universe. You just sit down. Let me show you what I can do. And he passed it through, sealing that covenant with Abraham. That God is going to make him the father of many, the father of generations. And for you who don't know, that father of generations, he becomes the father of the Israelites. And God is going to bless him with a son. So God has made this covenant with Abram. And then in Genesis chapter 16, Abram and Sarai are talking. Okay, God said he's going to give us a kid. I don't know how it's going to happen. Because I'm old. And Abram's like, me too. Maybe he's thinking something else. And he just didn't tell us. That's me. Every day. God tells me, this is what I'm going to do. Well, how am I going to do it? But the covenant is not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon God. But when we take it into our hands, when we start to mess it up a little bit. No different than Abram, who was credited as righteous. Abram's belief was credited to him as righteousness. One of the greatest men, the scripture says, to ever live. Credited to him as righteousness by the holy God. Says, okay, let's figure out how we're going to do this thing. So Sarai's like, maybe God meant this. That's, that's just trouble. Never say, well, maybe God meant this. All you need to do when you start to think it is close your lips. Sit down and ask God what he really meant. Anytime a sentence starts with, maybe God meant this, he didn't mean that. He did not mean that. Now, if we were to sit here today in the generation that we live in in 2021, and God was to give us a vision like this, and we were to say, God, how are you going to do this? How would we look into how God's going to do it? The word of God in his church. You ever got a question about how God's going to do something? Then jump in the word of God and he'll answer you real quick. If he doesn't answer you through that, then rely on his body. Jesus just doesn't call the church his bride. For giggles. Jesus calls his church his bride because that's how we experience Christ. Because he calls it his bride, but what else does he call it? His body. How do you see somebody? How do you experience someone when you see their body? Then they open their mouth, right? See, God gives us the church and the word of God so that we can experience, so that we can hear. And we never have to say, well, maybe God meant this. So Abram and Sri, they start to develop a plan in Genesis chapter 16. They're like, okay, here's the deal. Sari's like, I'm old and past childbearing age. I have a servant. Her name is Hagar. She's got it going on. We can use her. Maybe God meant this. You're supposed to have the baby with Hagar. And you're thinking, if you like to watch soap operas, yes, this is what's happening. All my children right now, is that even real anymore? What's another soap opera from yeah. today? Days of our lives, young and the restless. Taylor watches them every day at one o'clock. So you're like, okay, I'm intrigued. Something's about to happen. Who's the bachelor going to choose? You guys don't watch the bachelor. No. Yeah. Yeah. We've done this for us. Okay. Who's he going to choose, right? Abram's like, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yes. Okay, so he conceives with Hagar. And throughout Scripture, we'll see that was not a good idea. 
Because God did not say, I will give you a child through Hagar. God said, I will give you a child through the ordination of marriage, which I've already given you. God has called him to Sari. God's going to provide through what he provides through his body, his covenant, his promises. I've given you a marriage for a reason. Let me show you my provision through it. But Abram says, well, Sari, you sound right. Now, this is not Sari's fault. Now, because if we look at the story of Abram and Sari, Abram didn't have much credibility with her. Let's be real. They were in Egypt, and he was like, I'm scared. Be my sister. <laughs> Think about it, ladies. Think about it, husbands. There's not going to be a whole lot of trust equity right there, right? And so Sari's like, this is what we got to do. And you're thinking, that's not going to turn out well. And you're correct. It does not turn out well. For a couple of reasons. Number one, it's outside the covenant that God gave them. Number two... God told him he was going to do something, let him do it. You probably got something in your life right now that God's told you, let me do this. And you got your hands all up on that thing. You're like, how am I going to get this done? How am I going to make this happen? God, I know what to do. God, I got it covered. God, I, I, read, I read your Bible today. I know what to do. Like, I'm ready. Just take a step back. Let God work. And so Hagar ends up having a baby. They named her, they named him Ishmael. Now, when God, which he already knew, but when God sees Ishmael, he says he will be a brood of a people. He will be like a donkey. And he will be a thorn in the side to the original descendants, I promised you, forever. Now, here's what's even crazier is in that same covenant where God said, I'm going to give you a child, and where God said, I'm going to give you this land, he also says, your descendants who I'm going to give you are going to be slaves in a land for 400 years. Now, that's intriguing. God's making all these good promises, and then he said, but there's going to be darkness, there's going to be suffering. Whew, that's hard. That's hard. Because, God, you're going to do this amazing thing, but it's not going to be easy. It's not just going to happen. It's not going to be all flowers and rainbows. What about Psalm 23, where it says, you'll guide me through still waters? You'll lead me into, into green fields where I can lay down. Well, in that scripture, it also says, I'll lead you through the darkest valleys where you'll probably get mugged and murdered. See, because when there's blessing, there's also blessing through Romans 5. I delight in my sufferings because my sufferings produce perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. We can talk about Paul from the Bible all day and how he wrote every book of the Bible. Paul also said, my chains as I'm in prison have become my opportunity to share the gospel. Paul also said, I have become a bondservant for you. That means a bondservant in the times of uh, the, in Greek and all those things in that time, the Roman Empire, a bondservant, they would take your ear and put a peg through it to say that you're this person's servant by choice. Paul is saying, I have marked myself as your servant for life. It's powerful. It's big. Paul understood that even when there's blessing, even when there's an amazing promise, that amazing promise will be filled with blessing through pain. Some of you don't like to hear that right now. But pain is a blessing. Pain is a blessing. What? It helps you understand the goodness of God. 
It helps you understand the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. It helps you understand that pain is something that God cares about. That's why Abram's able to have that conversation. And when Ishmael is born, you know what it does to God? It probably causes him a little pain. I promised you. I told you. I was going to work it out for you. You didn't have something. I wanted to give it to you. And you chose to put your hands on it and make a mess out of it. And now there has to be punishment. There has to be something that happens for your action. There's grace and there's mercy. But in the grace and the mercy, there's going to be a process that's going to hurt sometimes. Because I'm your God. And I want you to understand that it may hurt. It may be painful. But there's blessing in the pain and the hurt. Any situation that you've been in through your life, you're thinking, you think about it, and you're like, God, why did you do this? Well, God did it. God is doing it so that he can show you the blessing of who he is. That even when there's pain, he's there with you. That even when the path is not clear, he's on the path walking with you. Even when you don't understand, and even when he's going to do amazing things, there's going to be things where you have to change your perspective on and look at it like, God, this is a blessing that I get to learn reliance and trust in you, even through the pain, even in the murkiness, and even in the things that I don't exactly understand. you got to release. So Hagar and Abram have a child. His name is Ishmael, like I said. Now, just like you expected, it wasn't going to turn out well because Sarif starts to get jealous of Hagar. Why would Sarif get jealous of Hagar? Hagar is a servant to Sarif. Oh, I forgot. Because she slept with her man, right? Oh, I did, I did not see that one coming. I thought it was going to be fine. Sarif even gave him permission. Isn't it funny that sometimes we give ourselves permission to be hurt? We stay in a situation that we know is going to end up in hurt, but we're like, hey, I can handle it. And then you get in and you're like, I can't handle it. Or you give somebody power over you to hurt you. You literally give someone power to hurt you. You're like, yes, hurt me, please. And that's not what you're thinking consciously, but subconsciously you're like, I deserve to be hurt, so hurt me. See, Sari had, had a rocky road, right, with Abram. And the scripture doesn't say this, but I like to think this, so don't take this as biblical truth. But I like to think... That Sari had a little bit of self-esteem issues. Think about it. Her hub, husband said, hey, be my sister and go live with this other man. That, that's just not something where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm good. You, you know what I mean? we got to think about the Bible like that. That's the true reality of Scripture. Sari had some rocky roads inside of her. Sari became the mother of generations, but she had some, uh, in, some depravity inside of her. She had some brokenness inside of her. And God began to restore it. But when Sari had to make that decision, she was saying, I'm not good enough. She's better than me. Because her reflection of herself is, I'm not good enough. God couldn't use me. How many of you feel like that? God can't use you. You don't got to raise your hand. But how many of you feel God can't use you? Because of your brokenness, because of your mistakes, because of whatever. How many of you feel like God can't use you? God took Sari and he used her. Even with our brokenness. Even when the opportunities came where she said, hurt me. God used it. 
Now Hagar had to leave, and she took Ishmael with her. And they left, and they went, and they sat in a desert. And she just had come to the conclusion they were going to die in that desert. But then God shows up. And God says, I'm going to care for you. Your son's going to be a great generation. It's going to be a brood of donkeys, but it's going to be a great generation. Think about that. Because even when we go outside of the will of God, God's sovereignty is still perfect. It wasn't Hagar's fault. It wasn't Ishmael's fault. They're not just people who get tossed off to the side. God is going to fulfill the covenant no matter what. And Ishmael was a son of Abram. And so God is going to protect Abram and Hagar because God cares about Abram and Hagar just as much as God cared about. I mean, uh, Hagar and Ishmael just as much as God cared about Abram and Sarai. God was going to love them and be there for them. And help them to know, hey, I have a great plan for you. It may not have been the way that I wanted it. It may have been completely with your hands all over it. But my sovereignty, that is God's perfection working. And even what we intend for evil, God uses for good for the saving of many lives. Genesis 50, 50 20. In Romans 8, 28, you hear it again. Wait, I work together for things that those who love me. God is in the business of sovereignty. And so no matter how bad you've messed up, no matter what's happened to you and you're sitting here today and you're thinking about your life, you're thinking of the things that have been done to you, you're thinking of the things you've done to other people, and you're sitting here and you're saying, there's no way God can use me, there's no way that God can take this, this person did such evil to me, or I did such evil to this person, how will he ever change it? Well, the sovereignty of God is perfect. And even what the world intends for evil, God uses for good. It's hard to understand. That's a process. It's not you're just going to sit here today and be like, I'm so happy this happened to me now. But what you do is you give it over to God and you begin to let him work. And that's what Hagar had to do with Ishmael. She had to give him over to God and begin to work. And then Abram, uh, Abram was fulfilled by God through the covenant. And he was delivered a child through Sarai. But they had to do some waiting because Sarai never got on board exactly. In Genesis chapter 18... We see their other tent, and three men show up. And these men are really cool because from Scripture, from context, we find out that one of them is actually Jesus Christ, and the other is two angels. And they show up to Abram, and they're like, hey, what's going on, man? And Abram's like, oh, you're not normal people. Let me, let me go get you some food. Right? And he brings it back. And Abram's like hanging out in the tent, and Sarai's uh, hanging out in the tent. Abram's hanging out with the dudes at the picnic table. Probably wasn't a picnic table. It was some kind of table. And Jesus tells Abram, I'm going to provide you a child. You know what Sarai does? She starts to laugh. And Jesus out like, he's like, I hear you laughing in there. And she's like, no, I didn't laugh. <laughs> and he's like, that's funny, because I'm Jesus. <laughs> and I'm omniscient, so I know. And so anyway, whatever. And so but she laughs in the face of God. And you know what God does? Makes them wait a little bit longer. You know what he does? Fulfills his promise. And they're blessed with a baby named Isaac. See, because God's promises, God's covenant is not dependent upon us. It's solely dependent upon him. And there might be times where he makes us sit and reflect and wait a little longer. Wait a little longer until we can understand what he's working and how his grace and his mercy is sufficient for us. But he's always going to provide exactly what he told you he was going to provide. He is the God of God. He is the king of kings. 
I know some of you in here have been waiting for things for a long time. A long time. I was with a couple last night, and I know she's been waiting on something for a long time. And God blew her away and provided it in a way that she never would have imagined. God blew her away. She had to wait. She had to go through some murkiness. She had to go through some mud. And then God said, hey, I promised you I'm going to take care of you. So it's funny. When God shows up, he always shows up. So he provides this child, Isaac, and in a couple weeks we're going to see what God then makes him do with Isaac. Some of you already know. But Ishmael grows into a great nation. As we go through Genesis, we're going to see this in a few weeks. We're going to hit on a little bit more, but Ishmael grows into a great nation in themselves. It's more of a gypsy people. They're nomads. They have no home. And Abram has a great, great, great grandson. Well, 13, I think. Uh, and one of those names is Joseph. And Joseph's got some brothers. And one day, Joseph, his brother hated him because his dad loves him more. And so they're like, you know what we should do with our brother? Kill him. How many of you have thought that? Yeah? Marley's honest. She's like, he's sitting to me right now. Right now. It's about to get wild in here with the crazy eyes, right? So anyways, but we thought about that. And so Abram, uh, Joseph's brothers are like, let's kill him. And then there's a calm-minded brother who's like, whoa. How about we just sell him into slavery and push him in a hole? That's <laughs> <laughs> what Titus, Ellie does with Titus, just pushes him in the hole. And then when he gets out of the hole, she hugs him. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of like the story in a weird way. Uh, so it's funny, and we'll get into it in a couple more weeks, but I want to leave you with this, and then I want to get back to Abram. It's Joseph gets sold into slavery. You know who buys him? The Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites by Joseph. Joseph is the one that leads him into slavery in Egypt. We're going to see this in a few weeks and it's going to blow your mind. But the Ishmaelites, the one who God said, they're going to be a thorn in your side. God uses them for amazing things because if they weren't in Egypt, they all would have died. They weren't in slavery. They all would have died. Our God doesn't stop. Amen. He was a thorn to their sides and bought him into slavery and sold him to the Egyptians, the Ishmaelites, the thorn in the side. You're sitting here today and you're like, at least I didn't sell my brother into slavery. Whatever you've done, it probably wasn't as bad as that. <clears throat> Judah's the one who's like, let's kill him and then let's make dad think he got eaten by a lion. At least what you've done is not as bad as that. So we'll get back to that story in a few weeks, but it's cool how God fulfills every single thing and works everything together. That's called sovereignty. Amen. God works it together. And Genesis 50, 20 is the culmination of Joseph's life. You guys are not as excited as me, but I am so pumped right now. Like, it gets me so excited. I can't wait to preach on that story. I know. It's just like it's flowing in me. I want to go right now, but I can't because i got to do this. And so it's awesome when God makes the covenant with Abram. Because this covenant that God makes is through lifeblood. Through lifeblood. Through a sacrifice where only he walks through. 
I think of another journey in the same way when Jesus, when God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. There was no one else who could do it. It wasn't his time in John chapter 1. It wasn't yet his time in John chapter 2. In John chapter 11, when they tried to stone him to death, it wasn't yet his time. His time was the cross because he's the only one who could do it. So what the world intended for evil for Jesus, Jesus said, I got a plan. I got a will. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to carry it out. They're not doing it to me. I'm choosing to do it. Because I'm the only one who can do it. Now what does that mean? What, what does it mean that he's the only one who can do it? You know how I've been talking about this imperfection, this brokenness that you're carrying, the things that you've done, the mistakes that you've made. Those are called sin. Sin is a fancy word for disobedience. We all have disobedience toward God in our life. That means we live at odds with God. God is perfect, but our sin and our disobedience is us saying, God, I like this more than you. We've got to be real with ourselves about that. Every time you choose sin over God, you're saying, I am more satisfied in my sin and my disobedience than I am you right now. Start to say that to yourself every single time you're about to sin, and you'll be like, wow, this is not that important. You're still going to make mistakes. You can't control your brain. But Jesus said, I love you enough to choose to die for you. I want to make a covenant with you. I want to make a covenant with you. We're going to partake in that covenant in just a moment, which is amazing. No matter your sin, no matter your disobedience, no matter what you've done to other people, no matter what they've done to you, Christ offers you forgiveness because he's the only one who can take it. You understand that for a second? You can't do it. You can't make yourself better. You can't forgive yourself. You can't transform yourself. The more money you make, the more problems, right? You can't make it better. You can't fix it. You can't take the past and say, I'm going to work it out to make it good. You can't. The only thing that you can do is be real with yourself, your church, your discipleship, and say, this is who I am. This is my imperfection. This is my brokenness. This is the things that keep me from you, a holy and a righteous God. These are the only things that keep me from you. These are the things that say I'm at odds with you. These are the things that are more satisfying to me than you. And you bring them before God, and God says, hey, I got it. Remember the covenant I made through Jesus, the only one who could do it. There was nothing you could do. Only Jesus could do it. He had to walk and make the covenant of blood with you through his death on the cross. But he did it for you. He's the only one who could do it. I heard a pastor say one time, his name was Kenneth Copeland, because I don't give a crap. And uh, he said one time, I can do what Jesus did. And I said one time, you're a heretic. A heretic is a fancy word for a false teacher. That's right. I said, keep telling people to send you money. Keep telling people that their life will be blessed when they receive money, when you receive money from them. Keep telling people that you'll heal their cancer when you receive money from them. But how about we get back to the only healer? How about we get back to the only Jesus? 
The only one that can do it. The only one who can take it upon himself. The only one who can transform it. The only one who can take a vessel such as you with the brokenness inside of you, the things that have been done to you, the things that you've done to other people, and he can say, you're mine. I want to redeem you. My sovereignty covers you. My blood is poured out for you. You can't do it yourself. Only I can do it. I couldn't forgive myself. I couldn't heal myself. I couldn't give myself eternity with Christ. Only Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on the cross can give me that. Abram. Perfect story. God was going to bless him beyond his wildness, with pain, with sorrow, with victory. And it was all dependent upon God the Father. What in your life right now? What in your heart right now? Is God working where he's like, hey, change this? And you're like, I'll do it eventually. And right now in this moment, God's like, let me show you how much you don't know and how much power you don't have. And let me show you how Jesus, when you humbly come before him, can take that from you, can shatter it for you, can transform you, can give you the power of a miracle of healing, a power of blessing, a power of favor, a power of struggle. He understands and he wants to hear about it, but he doesn't care about how bad and broken you think you are because he says, all I see is the blood of Christ poured out upon you and this transformation happening, this power happening, and all I see is the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus looks at you, that's what he sees. Because Jesus was the only one who could do it. Jesus was the only one who could do it. You might be a Christian in this room right now. And you got something on your heart that you need to give to God. It doesn't make you a bad Christian. It just makes you in the perfect place. God wants you to give it up. You may be a Christian and you're sitting in this room right now and you're like, man, I haven't read the Bible. And I don't know, man. I haven't prayed and I don't know. And I haven't loved somebody and I don't know. And I don't even know if I love God anymore. I can change that today. And you may be sitting in this room and you may be thinking about this word relationship with and what that means. Well, here's what it means. It's dependent upon him. He wants you. He desires you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to quit living in your shame and your guilt and understand the power that is contained in his victory on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Because Jesus gave you the victory. Death, where is your sting? Satan, where is your victory? something in your heart that you need to give up today, how about you let the power of Christ do that? Because you can't do it. How about you let God take that from you today in this moment? If you haven't read the Bible in years, you haven't talked to God in years, how about you be real with yourself today? You don't know God. Some of you are like, what do you mean I don't know God? You might know of 
a God. <laughs> you might know the story of a God, but you don't have a relationship with a God. Because if you've got a husband or wife and you don't know what's going on in their life, you haven't seen them in six months, you haven't talked to them in six months, you haven't talked to them in six years. They're probably not your husband or wife. A relationship is a commitment, just like Abram and Cerebri. God's blessing comes through the commitment, just like with Isaac. And God wants you today. He wants to transform you today. Will you guys bow your heads with me?